Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Caitlin Rose wrote a song that is in the top five all-time songs for me. A song called Shanghai Cigarettes. Part of the reason I love that song so much is the vocal performance on the album Own Side Now, her first record that came out 13 years ago. But the song itself is is so weirdly perfect, so evocative, so hard to pin down in terms of story and characters. And it's just... It does all the things that I want a song to do. It's like a mystery novel, this this weird little song. And and she wrote it. As like a 20-year-old kid, she wrote this song. And she has um you know, spent the intervening years. She made that record in 2010, put out another record in 2013, The Stand-In, also great. And then 9 years of wrestling with life, art, a life in art. And she talks about this during this interview. Um, She's on her back porch. Just so you know, there's a lot of, there's wind noise. There's some dogs barking. There's neighbors yelling. Um, But it's Caitlin. It's Caitlin Rose giving you a very sort of unfiltered, which is the only way Caitlin really is in my experience, uh, experience an unfiltered uh, glimpse into what makes her tick and what she's going through. And I'm so glad I finally got her to participate in this wheels off experiment. And I think you're really going to love it. She's got a, a brilliant new record out that, um, that I think, uh, I think the world is going to fall in love with when when you hear it. So in the meantime, enjoy this conversation. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Caitlin Rose. Welcome to Wheels Off, Caitlin Rose. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. Boy, it's great to see you. It feels like forever. It has been forever. Um, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? Um, my backyard in Nashville. <laughs> Tennessee. Nice, nice, and it's a beautiful day. Oh, it's so pretty. Aw, and um, and just to to get it out of the way, you've currently got a boot on your foot because you're a broken human. I'm a little broken, but only in body, not in <laughs> no longer in mind and soul, just the body this time. Oh, that's great. That's actually great news. Um, well, congrats on the new record. Thank you. That's got to feel good. It's been a it's been a minute. It's been nine years. So. <laughs> oh my god! I know, right? It's, a, uh, did it. 
How does it feel? It feels good. It still feels sort of like flat. Like I'm not, I feel like I spent so much of my life trying to not be excited because I was continually disappointed. So I think I have a very good level vibe with it. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel really excited. I just, I've wanted people to hear it for so long. So that's the part I'm most looking forward to. Mm. Well, um, so the question I usually start with is one that's a little tricky when you're a musician putting out a new record, but it's uh, what creative project are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Uh, hmm. You know, my main focus since it was done is a just assembling this release in the span of like two months with Missing Peace and ROM in Brighton. So I kind of like didn't want it to come out next year for reasons that are probably super um, silly, but um, we pushed it. So that's been my main thing, but uh, working on some videos with Austin Lee, we've done two so far, and that's really been the most exciting thing for me in the last few months, just cause I really didn't, I think I made like three videos in 10 years and I just always felt like it was one of my favorite things to do. And um, exploring that side of creativity for me is, a very different thing, but also something that I'm just as interested in as music. So I don't know, like it was just fun kind of coming up with some ideas and having him run with them because he's brilliant and great. And some of them were a little more thought through and some of them were just like, no, oh, ride horses. <laughs> so you have a lot of input with the direction of the videos. Yeah, we kind of, we're, a, we're like a mini production team at this point and it's, I can't wait to do more with him. I don't know even if this record, but I just, I think he's amazing. Would you? And make it's sort of like, it's sort of like I get to go to film school a little bit because I, that is one of my biggest passions. And, you know, he's a film student and fresh out of film school. And he's just, the conversations I get to have with someone who's like still really excited about film and he's so not jaded. And it's just like every idea can be turned into something awesome. And it's really a very like creatively freeing process. Do you think you would make videos for other people? Oh yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I'd love that. That's, I mean, it's the same thing with like producing other people. I'd love to produce other people's records and because I'm kind of a psycho, but with the right um, mediator, it can be a really fun thing for me. So I've only done that. I've produced for someone maybe one time, but it was sort of like a whim project, um, but it was really fun putting bands together and, finding studios is something I already do. So even with Austin, like, you know, my ideas come from like my central, like this is my home base. So we've only filmed here. So finding locations and it's just, it's just as fun as kind of, you know, having it done, just putting it together. And I'm a micromanager from hell. So I also <laughs> like being in a position of power in that way and, you know, helping someone find the best version of something. Yeah. So for you, like producing an album, what would that look like? Because I mean, some producers come from the engineer side of things where you're a knob, you know, twiddling genius kind of person. Um, they freak me out, those people. And then some are just like uh, George Jaculius, the man with the golden ear kind of people. Yeah. Where where are you on that spectrum? I I think I'm more of a partnership in production. Like Jordan Lenning is someone who speaks my language. I think I speak some of his language aside from like the super competent <laughs> train side. Um, but uh, like I, I've been describing that record we made as like a Pee Wee's Playhouse situation where it was just like 
you know, let's go in and have fun and just try things, which we obviously had a lot of time to do that on this round. And um, yeah, I obviously I'm not, I'm no gearhead. I'm no sound file, but um, as far as instincts go for creating something new and interesting, that's sort of where my head's at. I feel like the new record really does it's what you're describing as sort of a sandbox of Pee-wee's Playhouse, right? Like, if sonically, it feels like you're experimenting all over the place. I mean, that that comes through song by song. And I did what was that? Was that by design, or as you were going, you were just like, "There's no rules." There were no rules. There were. I mean, at some point, there were no time constraints. We did initial tracking with um, a great band in February 2020. So. And that was like William Tyler and Luke Schneider and Brian Kotzer, um, Jack Lawrence, Jordan. It just, uh, it was so easy just to work with those people and get something done that um, once COVID happened and Jordan and I had just started overdubs, he kind of, he kind of, you know, threw up the flag and said like, let's work on this. I have no other work right now because I can't see people. So Intermittently, we were doing like three tracking days or three, you know, overdub days and vocals. And we just kind of kept going because at that point, there was no plan for this record. Um, um, yeah. So it was always sort of this thing. It's like, let's just work on it until we can't work on it anymore. And he didn't kill me. So it worked out. But it it got a little frustrating for him, I think. But for me, it was this really awesome kind of like, any idea I had, I could write it down or I could go in the studio and try it. And it was just, I'd never had that. I'd always tracked in, you know, a week. God. And you know, what's funny, your instincts with regards to harmony vocals, like layering harmonies are as good as anyone I've ever known or been around or worked with. And it's, boy, it's all over this record. And to think you had all the time to think about it too. I think harmonies are something that are always in there, but yeah, it definitely helped because there's some like Lil Vesta is completely uh, wrong. A lot of my harmonies are wrong, but it's, <laughs> it's like with Jordan at a certain point, with this record especially, I think we got to the point where he would be like, technically that's wrong. And I'd be like, yeah, but it's right. And he'd be like, okay, fine. So having the time to find out what could make those weird melodies kind of congeal, uh, which is a gross word for that, was just... <laughs> You know, we'd spend a whole day working on like a note sometimes if we didn't have more important things to do. Were, were there any songs or moments on the record that wound up shocking you or feeling scary? Was there anything that you wondered if it was too much? I mean, modern dancing is pretty fun and I never really had made anything fun, but I listened to a lot of fun things. And with Jordan, he kind of said like, this record is the most you thing you've ever done. It's just that nobody knows you. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> So it's like a lot of it, you know, you can call it experimental, but these are sounds and sonic situations that I am very familiar with. I've just never had the time to translate them in my own way. And that's kind of what I do with everything, I think. Even country, it's like, it's not country, it's me doing country and whatever that is. And the stuff that you've done before, though, it wasn't as if it wasn't some facet of you. I mean, did you ever did you ever feel like you were trying to be something that you weren't? Is that a fair question? I, I mean, that's shitty. No, we all... no, no, no. I mean, Ownside, okay. I was 20. So Ownside, I was very fully me, but I was also me in the moment of aspiring to be certain other things yeah. um, and hone in on this thing, but in my own way. That's because I can't. It's not that um, 
I try to distinguish myself. It's just that whatever filter I have, that's how it comes out. It's uh, there was a joke about this record where um, I was kind of trying to explain like what is like the kind of duck eye of this, and the joke was, you know, it's like I got my dad and my brother's album collections, and I was like, okay, well I can do that too, and I like this too, but there's no way with it coming through my, you know. Uh, creative pop filter that it's going to come out like what that actually is. So I did coin it daddy's girl rock, which is gross, but just funny. <laughs> you know, one thing I really have always um, been grateful to you for is your curation of poetry. I feel like nobody that I know is more on top of or interested in seeking out poetry. And I've been turned on by you to so much great poetry. How, how do you think that influenced this record? Um, I think discovering that I had ADHD and that hyperfixation is a really big thing in my life probably did. Um, but it's interesting with poetry because I can't really write it. And I, I always resent people saying that, you know, songs are just poetry with music. I don't believe that. I think that's a huge lie. Um, and I think that's, there's a part of it where I, I don't write it because I don't, think that I'm very good at it. And I think some people don't really recognize that and don't really learn what it is. But, I, you know, I'm not schooled in any way. I'm not an English major or even an English college graduate of any kind. So for me, it really is kind of like a cherry picking situation. And when I find a writer who hits me really hard, you know, I try and find a used book for $3 and run with it. Um, but I that passion was definitely very strong for about three years, four years. And now I have like a hundred poetry books that I haven't been able to sort through. I decided I need to like curate my own uh, collection, but I have, I have read a lot. I think for me, it's almost just like a head emptying moment where I can fall into somebody else's work um, and not be distracted uh, because with music, listening to other people's music, I'm constantly kind of retooling it in my head. But with poetry, it's like, I'm seeing this very pure thing that maybe without all the rules of songs, but with its own rules of feel and uh, rhythm and stuff in it. And it just, it's its not something I aspire to. It's just something that brings me a lot of joy or sadness or, you know, <laughs> recognition. Like I can, you know, when you see yourself in a poem, it's different from seeing yourself in a song or when you feel, yeah, it's just different. It's but funny, right? When you say joy and then you, you sort of have to backpedal, I, joy doesn't necessarily have to be happy, right? Like joy can be any number of weird, but as long as it's a deep emotion that mm -hmm. elevates I've also you. said that I have um, kind of an inability to feel joy. So that's one thing that I have found brings me that. It's like kids, poetry, mm, my patio. <laughs> um, having gotten uh, the opportunity to work with you a couple of times on songwriting, I know that you carry around notebooks with phrases and ideas and and when you've opened let's them be up. real red i carry around my iphone notes oh, that's I don't what even, it is now it's i've talked about this too like um typing was always my format like even you know i have napkins from high school and stuff that i'd write on at waffle house but like i haven't filled out a journal of any kind in 20 years i'm guessing oh, wow you're right okay so it's always digital I always write. I also write wrong. I never learned how to hold a pencil right. So I, I think I've developed like, um, like strain in my tendons. 
That's so I think funny. It's just an immediate, I can type faster than I can write. And I think for me, the speed of, I'm such a uh, editor, like during the process that if I can't just easily edit things, it slows down and it fucks up the pace. So. So do you remember when you decided you were going to do this, like be a musician, be a songwriter, be artistic? Do you have like a moment? Was there an epiphany moment or was it just always an unspoken, you know, understanding that this is who you were and what you do? I don't know. I feel like people sometimes have this very pure reverence for, you know, born musicians or born writers or whatever. But I growing up, I was always trying different things and you know mastering them to the best of my ability and then moving on to something else like painting or poetry short-lived uh drawing things like that um but with music it was the first thing that people really not even pushed like uh it just became something that i couldn't stop Mm -hmm. um due to the fact that like the social aspect of it was really wonderful the emotional aspect was really wonderful like tempering moods and tempering feelings and having somewhere to put them. So when I was 16, it really was just so I could make friends with people I liked and have fun. And, but I obviously never became that skilled of a guitar player because I'm not a passionate musician. Um, but I, I guess I am maybe passionate just with art and mostly words and singing. So it's all of the little pieces of it that kept me in it. And then, like I, I used to say when people ask me, it's like no one ever told me to stop. So <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, it was more of a I was sort of cosmically pushed consistently that way, that way. And yeah, and then I was pushed off a cliff and then I had to <laughs> climb back up. That's so funny. What what were what were those years like for you in between the records? Was it did it did it feel like you were climbing back up? Or did it feel like you were just enjoying your life? Um, no, it felt like a Sisyphean nightmare from hell. And oh, no, <laughs> uh, a, a personal journey that was not something I'm happy with and uh, just very frustrating, but also trying to enjoy life. You know, like I have a niece and nephew now, and that was something that I'd never really experienced. Like I spent a lot of time um, like nannying, babysitting and just trying to be a fully functional human, which I hadn't been for a long time. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that you've emerged. I really think this new record is so beautiful. And and I wonder, I mean, um, and I wouldn't probably have asked that question so glibly if I realized. I don't mind. You know me, dude. I know. Let's (laughs) Let's go deep. If I'm with somebody I like that I trust and I, you know, is actually fun to talk to dive in. Well, then tell me when you're dealing with the the really dark moments, the inner voices, the interior mess, the stuff that keeps you from doing the thing that you should be doing or want to do, the internally generated obstacles, when you run up against those, Caitlin, how do you, what have you figured out to get beyond them, to get past them? Uh, I let my cat sit on me for a while. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely haven't come up with any surefire ways of tempering, uh, mental issues aside from, you know, taking meds and, uh, talking to psychiatrists. So you do talk therapy? Yes. Well, on and on, like, um, 
I had a pretty steady therapist for about two years and from 2018 to 2019. And I really came out of something that was pretty difficult. And um, I don't know. I, it's nice to know, like, sometimes when you don't need it. Um, and also, I don't know if you go to therapy, but I had this therapist who was so great. She would be like, if you come on, if you come in here with nothing to talk about, I need you to like figure out why you're coming because you shouldn't be paying me money to just sit here and let you relive everything you've already done. So if you don't have a goal for therapy, I think that's something I realized that was important. Like if it's something that you can sit and dwell on on your own, A, don't pay someone to listen to it. And B, that gives you more energy to maybe just try and see why you keep doing that on your own. And that's sort of the tools of therapy are to give you tools to handle things for yourself. And so that's something I kind of took away from it. And right now I feel like I'm in a mentally healthy place um, and prepared for that for a long time to go back into this. But uh, going back into this is also really scary. So I'm in a, I'm in a moment where I might need to call somebody, but <laughs> so far it's been pretty chill. Do you find this moment where you're releasing a new album and giving something to the world, do you find it to be fraught, like that really vulnerable feeling that musicians tend to traditionally feel when they I put out a new I mean, record? I had I dealt with so much of that just kind of working on this record for seven years, because technically this is something that, you know, there are songs from 2014 on this album and there are demos of those songs and there were, you know, failed attempts with records that would just make me bury my head in the sand again. So, um, no, I think all of my anxiety about what it is is gone. I think the anxiety I have is, you know, what comes after, like booking tours and playing in, with bands and um, traveling and trying to stay healthy in that respect. But um, no, with, with songs, it's like I would have these weird months over the last seven years where I would just like put a demo online, just be like, hey, somebody listen to something. That's my favorite part. So That's good. Are you going to hit the road? Uh yeah, I'm I'm working on something potentially for UK in April. Um nice. but I'm not going to be doing anything until next year. That makes sense. It's a it's a disaster out there. Everybody is trying to make up all their tours that have been canceled for 3 Well, we years. also won't have vinyl <laughs> until like February, so mm. thanks Thanks, mainstream music, for reviving the record industry and killing everybody else's chances at having merch. But exactly. What are you gonna do? You um, know what? I think I should have like 10 colors of my album. I think I should have like at least 10 different color options for all the people who don't even own record players and all of these things that are just going to end up in a fucking landfill in 20 years. Mm. Said my piece. Done. Sorry. Well, Urban Outfitters has to be able to sell something, right? Oh, and Target. I mean, you got to get your oh Target issue fucking platinum edition bullshit. <laughs> I wonder if you being in Nashville, if you're a little closer to the source of angst. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I um, Yeah, that's really that's a duh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's not just a duh for people who live in a music industry town it's a duh for anybody who makes records like yeah. anybody who you know got back-ended for a fucking album release because of exactly we all know what i'm talking about it's just like oh god independent artists have been saving the fucking vinyl industry for 20 years and now it's just like you guys suck <laughs> 
Um, I wonder if it's funny that you've now got this niece and nephew that's really sweet. I bet you're, you're the, the best. best. And I am the best. But I wonder when you think about sort of um, passing on some of this hard earned wisdom of yours, uh, if you would try and imagine a 21 year old version of Caitlin, but in 2022, working now, um, what advice might you give yourself? I just give her a big old hug. Yeah. She needed a hug. You were already working hard at that age, weren't you? Yeah, but I'd never, I mean, I'd worked at a restaurant and a dairy dip and a, a newspaper delivery girl, but I'd, I'd never toured. I'd never been thrown into such intimate spaces with people for long amounts of time. Um, yeah, I, it, it was definitely something I, there was no handbook for, for me, but and, well, I can't wait to see you out there again. I just, I, I think the world of you as a writer and I love watching you perform. So I'm glad you're back in it. Well, I might have to ask you where do people find fucking bands at this point? Cause I don't know how to do that. <laughs> oh, it's so different. And I guess you're right. Cause Nashville, everybody's just working yeah. they're out, or they all yeah. went and got jobs or they moved back to Rhode Island. No, it's just, it's a much more, um, it's, I don't know. I mean, it could be on me. Like, I don't go to a lot of shows. Um, I have like incredibly sensitive hearing and a lot of anxiety that I try not to, you know, ruin my day with. But um, it's just it's harder to navigate, which I think that's a sign of it being a town with a lot of promise and a lot of people come here. And it's just it's more difficult to have that kind of natural like, oh, hey, man, you play songs. Yeah, I play songs. I play guitar. I play drums like just that. Like kind of the first few times I did that, it was always kind of easy and fun and not like, oh, God. Do you think you would ever try and live anywhere else? Uh, You've got so many. I thought about it a lot of times. I mean, when I was when I was in like the UK all the time, I thought about moving to London and maybe I should have. But um, for me, spending that much time. Like I lived in East Nashville. My mom was in Dallas sometimes. And then she was like far from me in, in town. My dad was far from me in town. It was just a very isolating era of my life for my family. And um, in the last few years, we've all kind of centralized. And for me, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live somewhere where I couldn't see my family all the time. So, yeah. And I, you know, I love my house. I love my neighborhood. I love the few friends I have here that I still talk to, but that's sweet. Well, dude, I can't wait for for everyone to fall in love with your record like I have. And and I'm super excited to go back out on the road and maybe share some bills with you. I know. Stages. Can you just take me out? Dude, I'll tell Let's the old 97s. Go. Yeah, you'd be you're the best. When was y'all's last UK tour? You know what? We're finally gonna do something this fall, I think. But the old 97s, our greatest uh failing is that we never conquered Europe in any meaningful way. Well, I I mean Technically, Napoleon didn't either when you get down to it, but it's it's a hard thing to do. Conquering Europe, man, all of it, all of it. Just give me a toehold. I, I think I've played, like, I think another thing is with touring, I've all of a sudden started having, like, little, uh, little moments of excitement where it's like, there's so many things I haven't done. Like, I've never been to Asia. Um, there, there's just a lot of places, but I always thought it was like, wow, like, I'm more well-traveled than my whole family for a long time. 
And then my mom went to fucking Indonesia last month to ride. And I was like, oh, no, you won. <laughs> but no, I, there's so many places that I wish I could spend more time in in a in a happier period of my life. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, standing up on a stage and having people appreciate your brilliance is a, it's a pretty good way to travel. Not bad. Oh, Caitlin. Well, I think the world of you, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, is that it? That's it. You did it all. I just got here. You killed it. (laughs) Oh, but for real, can we go on tour together? Also, congratulations on your new one. Oh, yeah. The the Misfit. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I love the title, too. I'm like, mother. I don't know. I don't know (laughs) why so much specifically, but I love titles of songs. It's always or titles of albums are sort of like the really stressful thing. But when it's right, you're like, that's what it is. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. If it's fucking stupid, that's totally fine. Like with me, there was a going battle, but it's hard. It's hard. And it's what you're talking about. It's like I thought with my record, I thought people were going to some people would like it. A lot of people are going to hate it. And so far, it's been more of the former than the latter. But I think when you've built a career on love and when you know people who love you and there's that's. That's all I care about at this point. I think that's why the like over emotional thing isn't happening because there is a lot of support for you, for me, for, you know, people who work hard. And you're doing it the right way. And I I feel like that's the that's the right way to do about it. You so love and you try and make good relationships Mm -hmm. and then people give you leeway and they appreciate your hard effort. And and if you if you hit it out of the park. Like I think you and I maybe have both done this year. So honestly, just just getting it out was hitting it out of the park for me. So amen. Yeah. More to come. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Bye, buddy. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.